Welcome to another episode of the Zenpreneur Podcast, the show for entrepreneurs who want more money and less stress. The Zenpreneur Podcast is hosted by serial entrepreneur and high-performance coach Mario Lanzarotti. Listen as Mario and his inspiring guests share the insights, strategies, and habits that allow you to grow your business with peace of mind so you can enjoy more wealth and freedom. Learn how to build the mindset and habits you need to find the balance between a successful business and a thriving personal life. And now, here is your host, Mario Lanzarotti. Hello and welcome, my friends, to the Zenpreneur podcast. This is your host, Mario Lanzarotti, the Zenpreneur. Today, I have a wonderful new guest. His name is Justin Foster, and he believes that love never looks away. After many years as a brand coach, this belief inspired him to co-found Massive, a coaching practice dedicated to supporting business leaders who are called to use their status and brand to take on systematic change. That sounds like music to my ears. Besides the business poetry of messaging, Justin's love for language extends beyond the business world as a poet, essayist, and songwriter, and as a published author of four books. Today, Justin lives in Austin, Texas with his partner and their son. And now we get to welcome him to the show. Justin, welcome. Thank you, Mario. Thank you for the introduction. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you here. Justin, talk to us about Massive. I love the name. What is it about and how did you come to create it? Well, thanks, Mario. Massive, the full name of our company is Massive Systemic Change, but we call it, we shorten it to Massive. So Massive, our core belief is that consciousness changes the dynamics of power and that the, the planet, especially industries and, and institutions is going through this sort of massive reorganization right now um, where they're moving from sort of power traditions into almost a return to wisdom traditions. Um, mm -hmm. And so what we're finding is, is also this, that there are millions of CEOs and founders that have done a lot of inner work, a lot of trauma integration, a lot of spiritual work, a lot of meditation. And when you do that, when you start to wake up you, you, and, you, and you have authority, you have power, you have a business, there's, there's this moment where you're like, what am I, what am I doing with this? Because... When you're a, if you're a little bit lower conscious person, you could be a very successful business person. It happens all the time, but no one really talks about what happens when a business person becomes a, becomes more conscious. And so, what we're doing with Massive, my partner Virginia and I, is that we're guiding these what we call history shapers through this process that really is a blend of their idea development, like what's their calling and cause their personal brand, reorganizing their personal brand around their cause and not their business per se. Um, we work with them on their mindset, what Virginia calls the indomable mindset, which is a Spanish word that means untamable. And then we work with them on how do you create a movement through systemic leadership principles. And so the, the, the whole point of this is there's no one coaching these people that are called to create systemic change. They have maybe personal coaches, they have business coaches, but no one is like, here's how you do it. And mm. uh, so 
the idea has been around, I mean, inside of me, I think for a long while now, maybe about 10 years. And, uh, but it, it didn't really come to fruition until I met Virginia. And for the listeners, Virginia is my partner in all things. And we met in December of 2020. And it was like uh, the great Gatsby quote, my soul said to your soul, ah, there you are. And, but it wasn't long after that, that we began to realize that our very, very different backgrounds would have been brought together for a reason. It wasn't just for our relationship or a blended family. It was, we wanted to make an impact in the world. She is a lifelong activist, a Latina, an immigrant, president of the largest uh, feminist uh, nonprofit in Central America, um, award-winning executive producer of a TV show in Central America. And I'm a gringo. I'm a, I'm a, a what I call a wham, a white American male, um, not college educated, 20 years as kind of an outlaw, multi-failure, multi some success entrepreneur, a very unlikely pairing in a relationship, let alone to start a business that blends those two ideas of brand and mindset and calling and uh, movements. Mm. I love this. And you know what it brings up? When I did my first ayahuasca ceremony, <laughs> I said, every business leader in the world should do an ayahuasca ceremony. And, you know, it's a bit broad to say that. I don't think that every single person uh, should do it. You know, there's obviously many modalities. But what you're saying is something that I had been sort of fantasizing about for such a long time because I was like, man, if all these principles, imagine all the world leaders, the politicians and the big CEOs, they would do this kind of work. How different would the world be like? And right. so, you know, you talk about awakening. And before we mm -hmm. dive deeper into the world of business and consciousness, I want to know, what was your awakening? When in your life did you decide it's time for a radical change or, as you call it, a massive change in your life? Yeah, I think that there are, this is my observation, there are three awakenings that we can experience and you can go, you can start with any of them. Um, for me, I'll, I'll share the sequence of, of these three awakenings. The first one was a spiritual awakening. It was in a gym in Boise, Idaho in April of 2014. And it's a strange and beautiful story of um, this moment where my soul just kind of finally poked through the fog and distortion of my ego. And my identity was very strongly tied up in being a right-wing Christian conservative, um, you know, all the things that that entails. And it, that, that shattered in a singular moment. And, I, I, and the way I describe it is I met me maybe for the first time. Mm. The second, and that was in 2014. The second awakening was a longer dawning and that was a intellectual or a, a, a mental awakening. And that was an awareness that I am not my thoughts and feelings, that there is an observer or a witness to those. And that is the core self as, as Jung and, and Thomas More and others called it. Um, and that, that was a, a, a kind of a, then a reframing moment for me. So the, the first awakening was, was kind of like to use a biblical metaphor, the road to Damascus, like, bam, it just hit me all at once. The second one was a slower dawning. And then the third one is what I call social consciousness. Now, social consciousness really for me came into full, like full started to really bloom with the murder of George Floyd. 
Um, and that, that and even though I have um, black family members and a very diverse family, the shock of that, seeing that like move something in me. And then I met Virginia who has this lifelong social justice mindset that gave me a very, very different perspective that I could use the fact that I am, I could use my privilege for good to put it in simple terms. Hmm. Very interesting topics there. I want to dive into the first one for a moment to really understand. So you said you were in the gym and then you had yeah. this spiritual awakening. Walk me through that. What were you doing? Were you like doing some squats, uh, you know, like, and then all yeah. of a sudden, bam, what, what happened? I was, I was doing, um, I, I was, I think I was bench press doing a bench press and I was there with my trainer and she wasn't, she was in the other side, like doing something else. So I was by myself doing the reps that she had assigned to me. And I got up and I stood up and I sat up on the bench and I looked in the mirror and what I saw wasn't me. I saw a lion and it, and, and, and it looked back at me. And I think it was the first time that I ever actually looked at my face and I saw this lion and I just had this knowing that, well, that's my soul. That's who I really mm -hmm. am. It's not the childhood trauma. It's not the, uh, the poverty and the struggle. It's not the depression, the anxiety. It's not the ADHD. Those are all elements that made me stronger. I don't, I don't, you know, I wouldn't wish them on other people, most of those things, but it was, it was, it was there on the other side of, of that, that I saw myself. And I remember just feeling different. And my, my, my partner at the time, my wife at the time, uh, she said, what's wrong? And I said, there's nothing wrong, but something's changed. And it was terrifying because it was then I started asking questions. I started asking questions of the church I was going to. I started asking questions like related to my political views. Um, um, I started asking questions related to even like the sort of a nationalistic perspective um, that we have of about the United States, a sort of arrogance of an arrogance and denial of our own history. Hmm. And it was a, a series of those things that eventually led me to leaving Boise, Idaho, which I'd been for 20 years and moving to Austin, Texas. And, you know, it goes on from there. Hmm. I can relate to that, especially what you're saying about this shedding of an identity. And, you know, I grew up in Germany, um, half Italian, half German. And my father always made sure that um, I have a very strong Italian identity. And that came out specifically during uh, soccer matches. So whenever there were soccer matches, I could feel this, this strong resistance towards German people and German teams. It was almost like a almost like a sense of hate. It, it almost turned violent in one instance that wasn't started by me, but was definitely welcomed by me. I was like, come on, bring it on, bring it on, right? And I could feel myself so attached to this idea that I am an Italian and uh, I would sort of reject my German heritage. And mm -hmm. as I moved through this work of inner healing and, and personal development, I started losing interest in all of those things. Like now... I, I don't really connect that much with soccer anymore. Like the last time I watched a full soccer match, I think it was the World Cup. You know, it was because I was at a friend's house and it was playing there. Mm -hmm. But 
I wasn't, there's, there's not that level of passion and excitement that comes with it. Like I can tap into it if I want to, mm -hmm. but it's, it's not connecting with me anymore. And that happens with so many of the things in my life. Another example. So I've been, I've been vegan for seven years. When I started out, I was very much like everybody has to be vegan. If you're not vegan, you're a murderer, right? I went onto that train. And then I recognized that uh, there's another identity, there's another shoe that I'm taking on that I'm making me. And I started to really disconnect more from this ideology of this is what you have to be like if you are considering yourself a vegan or Italian or German. And now it's a lot more fluid. And I really appreciate what you're sharing in terms of how that shaped and changed you. And what I'm curious to know is sort of, what impact has that had on you as you started sort of transcending these old identities? How has that sort of enriched your life? Yeah, I know what you mean. Just a real quick about the soccer. I was like that for what we call football here in the United States of, mm. you know, American football. Still love football, still watch it. But I used to watch, it was a coping mechanism. I used to watch nine to, nine to 18 hours a week of football. Wow. And it, and it was, it was calming, um, you know, but I just, I watched the Super Bowl and I watch a few playoff games or, you know, something, if it's on, I'll, I'll watch a little bit of it. I watch highlights, but it's such a great example of how consciousness shifts your priorities. And I think that was the, mm. that was the biggest change is, um, from, for me as I shifted priorities away from serving an identity or a role or a, 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 um, a hologram of who I thought I was and instead serving my soul. And I started studying a while ago, spiral dynamics. Um, and this idea that consciousness goes from me to we, to everyone. And so the first, you know, 2014 into 2020 was really the me, the me phase. Like I was recalibrating mm. my life. You know, I moved to Austin um, a few years later, my wife and I at the time separated and got divorced. Um, I, I, I met Virginia. Um, I became a grandfather. Like a lot of things happened in there that were sort of in the me transformation. And then we was really around um, seeing things in the, the we of business leaders. It's like, what are we doing with our power? What are we doing with our resources? Yeah. Um, and then now to everyone, and that's where massive comes into play. It's like we we really want this to be a the the main impact to this to be to solve the world's most difficult problems. Um, that would be ideal for for us is that we would be coaching the history shapers, especially the business leaders that are here to solve the world's biggest problems, whatever those may be. Yeah, let's talk about that, right? Because. Mm -hmm you talk about the role of consciousness and business. And I like to make things very practical for our listeners because unless they understand that there is a tangible benefit to this work, to de developing and accessing higher states of consciousness, mm -hmm. they won't do it. And so why do you advocate higher states of consciousness or working on consciousness, exploring consciousness for business leaders? Why is that so important? Well, most business structures are built around what I call the power traditions. Power traditions are um, top-down, command and control, linear, literal, linear, um, often data-obsessed. They t have a tendency towards guru worship. Um, 
and very, if you put it in energetic terms, a very sort of masculine mind. Um, the, the, and that worked well for the machine age, for the industrial age. It, you know, there was a lot of exploitation as well, as we do know, um, uh, that came out of that mindset. But it worked well to build, you know, this, uh, the, 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 biz, the world that we live in today. What's happening, Mario, is that we're shifting, and this, is, this has happened really with millennials. It moved in through, like, the great resignation after, during the pandemic to now and where people are more, much more interested in, th in, in working for or buying from brands that match their values, not just provide value. Um, so the world has shifted. And so the business world is still pretty, pretty rigid within its sense of uh, power dynamics, power structures. It is trying to recruit and sell into a world that doesn't give a shit about that. Mm. Yeah, the majority of them. Now, they're still old people with money. They're still, you know, lower income people that don't care about that stuff because they're just trying to make it in the world. But as a large swath of the population, um, the, the, they are going to go buy from and work for the companies that are led by conscious leaders. There's already evidence of that happening um, with, with, you know, prominent business leaders that are embracing consciousness or embracing spirituality and business. Yeah. The other thing about it too is that the ROI, the ROI really of consciousness and business is velocity. And it's the velocity of innovation. It's the velocity of trust. So you can rapidly grow a business with, through consciousness because you, there's that namaste. You, I, I see you, you see me. There's this connection, this neural coupling that happens that doesn't happen with consciousness, with low consciousness, because low consciousness sees the audience as a target. They literally use that term, target audience. Well, nobody wants to be a target. Damn. And also, nobody's sitting around waiting to hear from you to your latest TV ad. Nobody gives a shit. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the way you have to connect with people is through the soul. Well, you can't connect to people's soul if you're not connected to your own. Um, it becomes lip service and yeah. there's been progress. Certainly DEI initiatives, ESG initiatives, things like that. Those are all good, but they're all really working within doing good within the system, within the power structures. And we're, we're noticing and, and advocating for, no, no, you got to do good outside of the power structures using what we call the wisdom traditions, which are ancient indigenous principles. Hmm. I love that. that and and you, I just had this moment when you said target customers. Yes. I never even thought about that, but it makes so much sense. If you think, look at this word, it's like target customers. This is a whole philosophy of ABC, always be closing, where you're yep. trying to enforce an outcome, where you're trying to manipulate yes. the person to purchase your products or services at all yes. costs. And when you're doing that, you're destroying long-term connection and long-term value creation yes. uh, with your clients, and so your approach, from what I'm understanding, is very much the approach that I'm that I'm I'm training my clients uh, uh, to to embody as well, which is service, service mm -hmm. first, serve without the expectation of a return. And for some business leaders, that may sound totally stupid. It's like, what do you mean? We need returns. We need to have the expectation. But when you let go of this, have the expectation that you're going to get something in return, you become super relaxed in a right. conversation with a client. And when you're super relaxed, you create a sense of confidence around you. And that makes you magnetic. And people are like, right. well, 
I would love to be like that. That is yeah. somebody that is already embodying a vision of mine. And to your point, that is somebody that is embodying the values that I appreciate and that I want to expand into. So you also said something that I want to highlight about the masculine and sort of the feminine mind. And mm -hmm. I, I, I believe I understand what you're saying, but could you sort of distinguish for our listeners what you mean by the masculine and feminine mind in business? So, yeah. So first of all, some clarification, I'm not referring to male or female as gender or assigned gender or, or even yeah. biologically. I'm not referring to that. I'm referring to energy. And, you know, this is a bit woo woo maybe for some people, but I'm okay with that. Uh, and so, you know, we are, we are, we, we're very unique creatures, we humans, because we have an awareness of ourselves that other creatures don't seem to have. The shadow of that is we are often in a perpetual existential crisis as well. Um, but within that is this ancient idea of, if you go all the way back to the yin and the yang symbol, you, you go to ancient ideas, that's the masculine energy and the feminine energy. In simple terms, masculine is order, feminine is chaos. Now we have, we have demonized the word chaos to mean disorder, but it doesn't mean disorder. It means the deconstruction or the, the destruction of order, of corrupt order so that new order can take, take place. What it shows is that we're ecosystems and um, um, ecosystems that are based off of living creatures have a masculine and feminine component. Now let's apply that to business. So on the on the the positive side, and I'm just going to use because it's kind of a quadrant. I'm going to use high con, high high conscious masculine, high conscious feminine. We we can get into low conscious feminine, low conscious masculine if you want, but high conscious masculine is about um, really about protecting the um, sovereignty and autonomy and the value of the people in an organization, including the customers. It's um, a kind of a warrior spirit. Um, it's about getting shit done. It's about logistics and execution. Um, it's traditionally would be considered left brain, even though that's a little not scientific concept, but let's call it that now for, as a, as a placeholder. Um, the feminine, um, the feminine uh, is the feminine energy is much more about nurturing. It's more about, um, it's more about making sure that people feel safe and seen and heard. Um, yeah. It's about looking out for the best interests of the people involved in the organization. And it's really about intuition. I strongly believe that the feminine, feminine energy is where intuition comes from. So when this is blended together, the way I like to look at it, and I use this as a kind of a little, um, almost like a rubric or mantra, which is the, the, the king suggests the queen decides. So the feminine, the king, the king, the masculine, suggests, suggests things and the feminine decides in business. What that looks like is another metaphor is what it means is that business is actually a garden that has machines that are used within it, but the garden itself is not a machine. So which has preeminence, the machines or the garden? Well, in old business and power traditions, the machine, it is a machine. They don't even see it as a garden. They see people as parts. Um, but in conscious business, you see the garden and you, then, then you are applying the best tools, the best machinery, whether that's operating systems, um, hiring practices, marketing pipe funnels, whatever you're doing, they are all in service to the garden. They are not in service to the machine itself. Yeah. I love this. And I find 
it's a very, it's actually, if you listen carefully, it's a very practical approach to creating a thriving and sustainable business. And the approach that you share doesn't just work for an organization. It works for the individual. Like if I look back, I like to find patterns in everything mm -hmm. like as, as without, so within as above, so below. Yeah. And yep. so my growth journey would that or my healing journey start, went strongly into what is known as the feminine, which meant for mm -hmm. me uh, becoming vulnerable as a man, mm -hmm. which meant to mm -hmm. me being able to ask for help, be uh, and, and being authentic and speaking openly about my feelings, and which meant to me to learn to operate through a sense of self acceptance as opposed to self denial. Right, the yeah. the, the mm -hmm. toxic masculine, as it's known, or the wounded masculine, or whatever right. name you want to give that, um, works on. I'm not enough. I'm a piece of shit. Something yeah. about me is wrong. So I need to mm -hmm. go out and get it. And yeah. that works in the materialistic sense, as it produces certain results. However, it's extremely unsustainable and extremely ineffective. It requires a crazy amount of effort. And so. The feminine that I learned to shift and find more of a balance is to use self-acceptance. Now, that doesn't mean saying, you know, tomorrow I'm going to get up at six and then I get up at seven and I say, oh, that's okay. Don't worry about it. It's okay. And I keep saying that that would be another trap that I fall into. But it means to be real with myself without bashing myself in the face. It's like, what's going on, Mario? Maybe I've been taking on too much. Maybe I need to rest. Or maybe yeah. there's something in my life that I'm not dealing with. Maybe there's a person in my life that I need to have a conversation with that I'm dreading and pushing away. And so it helps me to face, face these things. And mm -hmm. that creates a much more harmonious inner environment within myself. And what you're saying is you can have the same thing, the, that sense of harmony inside of mm -hmm. an organization. And it produces results that we may not even understand in terms right. of what can be possible. That's right. And you know, we're, we're using essentially half of our being in traditional power structures. And I, and I go back to what something you said that was very insightful about, um, you know, you, there's something wrong with me and I need to go out and I need to go find it in the world. And um, a dear friend of mine, Kelly Campbell, has a book coming out about this, about the relationship between tra trauma and leadership and how mm. most people uh, pursue leadership positions because they are there. It is a trauma response. Yeah. Um, and so when you think in terms of, uh, the, 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 with the masculine tendency in is to go out and get, go out and acquire, well, if you're in charge, that's easy. You know, that's, you see this with, you know, the, the addiction and suicide and depression rates of rich people is much higher than the rest of the population. Hmm. Um, because when you have everything you want and you have nothing to pursue, there's no need for the feminine. Um, and you can look at it in low conscious feminine as well as, as this need to be taken care of. It would be another way to look at it, um, which companies and institutions heavily rely on related to, you know, well, we're going to take care of you. So you should work here for the next 20 years until we don't need you anymore. Hmm. And then we discard you and get a new part. Um, hmm. And I think it's also fascinating to think in terms of, um, if you, if you have an organization, if you have a leadership team that promotes, um, consciousness practices, which are not religious, there's no threat to anybody. If, if someone's offended by the idea, then that's just a mirror for you to look at something within yourself related mm -hmm. to curiosity, probably. 
But you look at companies like Mind Valley and the work that they do, um, or other businesses and that are famous for having kind of this, you know, Zen to use your name of your podcast, uh, the Zenpreneur approach to business. Well, they across the board outperform traditional power structure businesses now. They're still the the Jamie Diamonds from Chase, and they're still those guys, but those are less and less. And you see, for example, the top performed, I think eight of the 10 top performing companies in, in the United States are run by either women or women, immigrants, or minorities. Um, the, the classic old white CEO, yes, there's still lots of them, but that model, they're, they're, they're adapting. They're adapting to, that's why they need us because they're like, holy shit, like I need to do something with this. What do I do? Um, so anyway, I think that's a, that, that right there is its own deep, we could, we could do a whole conference on that. <laughs> oh, without a doubt. And I love what you just said in the end, and at the end, in terms of minorities, women, uh, and underserved communities performing better. And my theory on this, cause I see this happening in African nations as well is because they don't have this rigid conditioning and these re the reliance on these old structures, mm -hmm. they get to adapt fast. And so this is the beauty of, of the work of consciousness. Literally what you get is quantum growth. Literally yes. people that have like, they're stuck at a, at a ceiling that go through this process of, you know, some of the tools are meditation, breath work, psychedelics for some people, um, you know, different uh, modalities in, in coaching. The growth is just so rapid or can be so rapid that if you go to the classical route this, in this traditional system that you're describing, you just cannot keep up with it. You, right. you try to, there's, there's not even a competition anymore because you're, the other person is in a totally different stratosphere and can make, you know, take, take cold email. Cold email is all about, uh, you know, acquiring large lists of customers that may not mm -hmm. have given you consent to that. You know, I'm not going to bash it. Some, some people that I'm friends with, they use it. It's not for mm -hmm. me, you know, but whatever everyone gets to choose. But I feel it's highly ineffective because right. you have to knock on so many doors and you burn so many bridges. Whereas if you focus on building strong, genuine relationships, mm -hmm. the doors open so fast. Like I got yeah. my TEDx talk in one single conversation. In yeah. a second conversation, I got my mentor who, who helped me get the TEDx talk from, from pretty good to, uh, to great uh, without any charging any money. Why did mm -hmm. he do it? Because we had such a powerful human connection. And, yes. and then my, my TEDx talk went, went viral and people asked me, Mario, how did you do it? What, what agency, what ads? I was like, nothing. I was like, I didn't have a strategy. And a friend of mine, he interviewed me and he said, I know your strategy now. I said, well, tell me. And he said, your strategy is kindness. And I'm like, oh, it's like, mm -hmm. Mario, you told me that your intention is whenever you speak with people is to leave them feel elevated and inspired and empowered and serving mm -hmm. them. And that's what I genuinely do. So whenever I have a request, people, will, of course, I will help you, Mario, because you help me in so many different ways. Right. Yeah, it's the law of reciprocity. Um, and it's often missed because... Again, we, we bring a, a scarcity mindset to business and, and there are elements of it that are the ego, like comparison and competition that can be healthy. You know, I have no problem with that. Um, I, think, I think it's interesting as you point out kind of a, a conundrum, a dichotomy here, which is if you do the work of consciousness in whatever form, it, it, it does produce a lot of 
deal flow, for lack of a better term. It does right. produce revenue. However, if you stay in that, it goes away. It is it, it comes to you for you to convert it to making an impact in the world. Yes. And this is that moment where maybe one of the most radical things that we believe is that every single human is born with a calling. And but the vast majority of humans don't get to pursue it because of their conditions. Right. But it doesn't mean they don't have it inside of them. And yeah. Virginia works with she has uh, she works with a lot of Latina activists, especially especially in Central and South America. These are these are, you know, there's a very patriarchal society still. There's a lot of um, misogyny, a lot of actually, you know, high rates of femicide, um, economic dependence on men still in a lot of cases in, in Central and South America. And so these women that she's working with, they don't have resources. They're on this coaching program mm -hmm. she has because of a, a scholarship, a sponsorship. They are doing more work for good in the world than a rich person uh, that a rich person in a gated community that's just acquiring more and more wealth. And so that's this moment of challenge is like, what am I going to do with this? And what I love is that when you, when you have that moment where you're like, Oh, there's something more to this, this consciousness stuff. It's not just about me anymore. It goes to the we. Yeah. And that first we is often changing your business, reorganizing your business. And the biggest reorganization is you got to rewrite, redo your mission, vision, and values because you very likely wrote those mission, vision, values on some sort of linear, more power-based mindset that doesn't fit you anymore. And you got to go back and do that. You got to reorganize your culture. You got to create standards. You got to create uh, kindness as a leadership ethic. Um, yeah. You got to infuse wisdom into every aspect of the business, not just not just data. Yeah. Um, and those those are all part of the steps of the we phase of this. Yeah. You talk about power, and I use the term power as well. And I, I, and I want to ask you, from my understanding, when you say power, what comes up for me is what you mean is, is, is it a sense of force? It's like forced power. Because creation, naturally, is extremely powerful right. without trying to be powerful. Right. Well, I think there's there's two kinds of power. It's on a spectrum from small p to big p, let's say. And the mm -hmm. and the spectrum of power on one end is authoritarianism. Most right. businesses, um, especially run by WAMs, white white American men, are very authoritarian in their practices. Uh, sort of benevolent authoritarianism, um, and that's small p power. But you get over to the big p power. It's now it's about liberation. Yeah. Now it's about freeing people. Now it's about um, liberating, creating liberating systems or systems that promote autonomy. And the, it, what's different is just the way that power is applied. You could almost look at that, um, the, the, the stuff that's on the liberation side, the big P power is much more natural. It's much more of the sort of energetic footprint that is on this planet. And the left side, the small P power that's authoritarian based is actually quite quite limiting and quite manufacturing and doesn't have much of a long game at all um, because authoritarian is authoritarianism is unsustainable. Yeah. The difference is there's, we, you know, we in the United States, we would not generally put up with authoritarian behavior from um, our leaders generally. Um, you know, that's an open, a, a, a statement open for additional conversation, but we put up with a lot of shit of authoritarianism from our jobs. 
from, you know, having to return an email at 11 o'clock at night or not being allowed to use your vacation time. Now, again, that progress has changed because the market, and this is the thing, Mario, that is the maybe a main takeaway, I write this down one, is that market pressure and social pressure are the same thing now. And what society is asking for is dignity. They're asking mm. for autonomy. They're asking to be trusted. And if they if they have talent, they've done the work to have the talent, and and they and then a company approaches them with authoritarian tendencies, they're just going to laugh and go off and do something where they can be free to be themselves. Yeah. Um, it's a, and it's a it's it's an extraordinary watershed moment, really, because yeah. I don't know how much longer I'm going to be on this planet, but I would say in the next fifty years, the whole world is going to look, and I say in a positive way, radically different, much more heart based, much more feminine based, much more wisdom based. Yeah, I, I'm I'm 100% with you, and I can see the change. I can see the change in individuals. I think it started with sort of, if you look at the world, institutions, leaders, politicians, people don't trust them anymore because they've been lied to in so many obvious ways for so long. And, you know, so much of the natural healing modalities have been suppressed by, mm -hmm. uh, you know, pharmaceutical companies, not to demonize pharmaceutical companies. I think there's a very valid benefit uh, to them. And, you know, if I have, if I break my arm, I would rather go to the hospital uh, and, and have a doctor uh, help me with that mm -hmm. than go to a naturalistic healer, right? But I think there needs to be a conversation around balance and around giving people the truth and giving them the the choice to say here are the options is not just the things that we tell you there's a lot more to that and people mm -hmm. are really waking up in all facets of life and in business more than ever i think the internet has empowered people to say i don't need to work at that job anymore where my boss mm -hmm. is sort of like uh you know checking out my ass and my boobs all the time and, and making comments mm -hmm. or denying me my holidays or paying me less or whatever that thing is and right. i think we are like you said in a in a period of liberation and one of the things that you talk about is how capitalism can help solve systemic issues now mm -hmm. a lot of people in the in the conscious community don't like to talk about capitalism because they no, look no. at it as the pinnacle of evil in the world i yeah. i actually think capitalism is great definitely there's a lot of changes that we need to make but for now what mm -hmm. we have is the system that is working the best so i would love to hear your opinion because it seems like you have studied this uh extensively yeah yeah i noticed that too and it's it's interesting i live in kind of this um you know uh, unaffiliated world where I don't, you know, consciousness sort of transcends ideology. And a lot of people that claim a level of consciousness are still very ideological based in their views. Mm -hmm. And ideology is, is kind of the lowest form of consciousness. Um, the theology too, to, to, to some extent. Um, and so from a, from a cap, from capitalism standpoint, again, everything's on a spectrum. There's, there's, what I've called corporate capitalism to then to John Mackey's term, conscious capitalism. It's mm. the same tool. It's like the garden metaphor. It's the same garden. It's just different tools, different mindset. And the mindset of corporate capitalism is tends towards more authoritarian, more traditional power structures. The conscious capitalism uh, tends towards more liberation and much more around wisdom traditions. And so the, the, the truth though, when you look at the data, um, you look at the, the research that 
there has been no greater outside of maybe, well, even this came from capitalism, but like, like penicillin is an example, but there's been no greater elevate elevator of human beings and the, and the daily lives of humans than capitalism. And that's very uncomfortable for people that hmm. identify ideologically on a much more maybe socialistic or left far left um, perspective. Um, but when they complain about it, they're, they're and they and they send the you know the the hate mail for lack of a better term. They're doing it on everything that capitalism provided them, uh, and <laughs> and and so that's to me that's ironic and it's a bit naive. Um, on the other side of things is. The, on the uh, on the corporate side is the is a, a type of ethical relativism. The ends justify the means, and yeah. so there really is no truth in corporate capitalism. There's only the story, the narrative, and and those narratives are controlled by who's in charge. Right. Um, and so certainly there's a shadow to capitalism, but the shadow yeah. is on that lower end side of things. It's similar to also people that are in the in the more, you know, spiritual community or spiritual industry really and how it is, uh, unfortunately, is of that of kill your ego. Well, you need your ego. That's your ego keeps you alive. You know, you just need to learn how to make it an employee and not a boss, especially if you're going to go practice, you know, you're going to go out and be on the liberation side of capitalism and the elevation of humanity. Now, Here's how I like to transcend this thing about ideology. I get called, you know, as a former Republican, um, you know, conservative. People say, well, I've gone woke. I'm a socialist now. I was like, no, no, I'm not. I'm still very much small government. Um, let people, you know, you do you. That's my that's my jam. I'm much more libertarian, but without being crazy. Um, and so um, when we look at this through a we, we, we take the ideology out of it. What we're looking at is a set of problems. And so we could, anybody could do this. You can make a list of what you think are the top 10 problems in the world from climate change to, to, to systemic injustice, to um, suppression of women in, in education. Like you could pick your thing. The answer to solving that, and this makes the nonprofit people really cringy <laughs> They really cringe when I hear, they hear me say this, but I still think it's true in partnership with them that capitalism is going to solve that faster, better than a than the than any government or institution. Case in yeah. point: clean water in Africa. Clean water in Africa. Um, uh, dirty water was a crisis in Africa, um, and it's largely outside of um, some um, more remote areas been resolved. Do you know who fixed it? Coca-Cola. So they put in the Coke machines and all of these villages and, and they made money off of that as a vending yep. machine, but it had a yep. water dispenser, purified water yep. that everyone had access to. Yep. And there had been billions of dollars spent trying to figure out how to create clean water in Africa. And Coke figured it out with a capitalistic approach. Yep. And I refuse to demonize capitalism that is done for the advancement of humanity because it is the main advancer of humanity whether we like it or not it is not an economic theory it's an economic reality yeah. i also refuse to though apologize for the shitty things that capitalists have done over the years and you know everything from the unholy alliance between corporations and churches and states to create mass genocide exploitation of resources overthrow governments that's all from capitalism as well. 
but it doesn't make it makes that kind of capitalism wrong. It doesn't make capitalism wrong. Yeah, I I love that so much because that's the very reason why I decided to focus on entrepreneurs and helping them raise their level of consciousness. Because what we're talking about, I think, is not so much a problem of the system in itself, the capitalistic system, but it's really more about the way that people use this system. Because you can use the capitalistic system in a very highly conscious way, where you say, you know what? Yes, at the end of the day, it's about us generating a profit and about us providing services for, uh, in exchange for that profit. But how are we doing that? Do we really need to squeeze out every last drop to create this profit? Or can we do it in an ethical way? Can we involve people in that process? I'm sure, and this is the irony as well, the people that complain about Coca-Cola putting uh, vending machines into African villages are not the African villagers. <laughs> They're right. probably people that have a very good uh, and comfortable standard of living and have a lot of additional time on their hands to think about, you know, what do I not like about the world? And then go about finding problems online and then creating an identity around that. Oh, look at me. I'm commenting on this. That makes me a a virtuous, a positive person. I'm like, (laughs) really? Rather start a business that, you know, focuses on cleaning up your local environment where, you know, there's plastic all over. You know, I went to I went to Cancun that one time and there is um, there's a plant that creates that takes out plastic and then makes uh, petroleum out of the plastic. And they have a way of reducing the emissions of the petroleum to make it a lot cleaner. Some people might say, oh, no, it's oil. It's bad. It's terrible. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what's worse? Do you want to leave that plastic, that microplastic that just touches everything or do you want to have a company that now encourages locals to bring their plastic there get something for it feel a sense of like i'm doing something for the environment and you create more of an economy that's positively impacting mexico yeah that's yes and and this is the power of that mario it goes back to the calling so it's this intersection is find the problem that you feel called to solve and then apply conscious capitalism, consciousness in general to solving that problem. Yeah. And here's what I absolutely believe. And there's so much evidence of this, that whatever prop, whatever the problem is, is also a business opportunity. Hmm. And you just used, you know, a great example with that. I've heard about that, you know, that, con- that conversion, there are dairies that convert um, the, the cow shit to methane, which then is used to eat, to power the dairy or even sold to local communities for, uh, for, for power, for energy. Um, and what I'm also aware of too, is like, um, you know, what, what a friend of mine, Orville Morales calls reactivism. So reactivism is, um, what happened with, you know, where people over here were shooting Bud Light because they had one very obscure campaign in support of a trans person. And all of a sudden all these, a lot of people in camo and backwards hats and wraparound sunglasses are shooting, you know, cans of or beer, beer cans of, of Bud Light. That's virtue signaling. It's also virtue signaling to, um, to, um, on on a, if you're on a more on the left side of things, it's virtue signaling to, um, as I said earlier, to complain about capitalism while enjoying all of its benefits. Mm-hmm. So if you, unless you go live completely off the grid in a self-sustaining thing, even your water tanks and your lumber and your solar panels, all that shit was made through capitalism. 
or you or you have the skills to do it yourself, then I'd be like, all right, you are you are using another <laughs> Spanish word, consequente. Consequente. We don't really have a word for it in English, but it essentially means aligned with your um, beliefs, values, and behaviors. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, to your point, to close on that is. As, as a, rather than being reactive to anything that happens in the world in, and go complain and go fight against yeah. that thing, build something better. Build, build something, something better. better. Something yeah. better that you believe in that's in alignment with yeah. supporting people, supporting the environment. And you will do so much good for everybody. And, yes. you know, you just mentioned the Spanish word. And, you know, with an awareness of time, I still want to talk about what you mm -hmm. mentioned earlier. And I hope I pronounce it uh, pro properly. But you have this becoming indomable uh, yeah. this yeah it's it's a, it's a spanish where it's indomable is how you say indomable. it yeah and this is a program that virginia created um that is uh, a kind of this new level of the, a new level of consciousness to be a history shaper so it has things like uh, critical mind how do you develop a critical mind how do you manage your ego how do you exercise your creative muscle how do mm. you um, lead from a place of trust? Um, and so the concept of Indomable is that there is a mindset that is necessary to take on systemic change. Because if you take on a system, some sort of systemic issue, even if it's in like you want to solve a problem that's within a system, the, the power traditions of people that are benefiting from traditional power structures are going to gaslight the shit out of you. They're going to tell you you're crazy. They're going to tell you, why are you doing that? Um, and they're going to do their version of trying to deplatform you. They're going to do all kinds of things. And so the best example of this is one that's a, a very American metaphor, but Jackie Robinson was the first black uh, baseball player in the modern era of baseball. And part of the deal that he had with Branch Rickey, uh, the uh, general manager and co-owner of the Dodgers that signed him was that he would not respond to any any of the racism that he was going to face, because if he responded to it, he, it would just fuel, you know, fuel the fire, fuel the hate. So Jackie Robinson did that. And you can read about it, watch the movie, whatever. That's an indomable mindset. It's an indomable mindset when Nelson Mandela forgave his jailers. Um, it's a, it's an indomable mindset when John McCain was in a uh, POW, North Vietnam, uh, Vietnam, North Vietnamese POW camp. Um, it was it was the indomable mindset that um, uh, Victor Frankl had when he had the experience that became man's search for meaning. And we could go on and on and on uh, this this thing that is only found at this intersection of going inward and doing the inner work of consciousness and the inner work of trauma integration and then going outward to create systemic change. And you can't do that with a weak mind. You can't do that with a weak mind. And here's the thing. I'll leave, I'll, I'll end it with this. My, 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 my editorial with this is that you can have a weak mind. If you have power, if you have institutional power, we see it all the time. We elect people like that yeah. here in the United States, weak ass minded people, mostly yeah. men that have status. You take that away. You take, you take uh, Elizabeth Holmes, the famous case of Elizabeth Holmes, you take away her power. She was nothing. But if you are, if you have an indomable mindset and and power as authority is taken away, or even resources are taken away, like like the women that Virginia is coaching in Latin America, you still are powerful. You are still unstoppable, and that to me is 
so profoundly important right now that we have that kind of mindset that is the, is the mindset, the level of consciousness needed to shape history. Yeah. For the good. Yeah. You know, as you were saying that it reminds me of my mother, hmm. my mother, I feel has this mindset as well. And she comes from very low end middle class, uh, you know, or even upper lower class in Germany and, uh, worked three jobs to bring us up. And, uh, I remember she was driving a, a very beat down Fiat. Uh, you know, we didn't, we lived in a high rise building and, you know, and we were doing okay. And I remember one day there was a teacher of mine that uh, attacked me um, for doing something. I don't even know what I did, but I was in second grade. So I was a little child and he attacked me and I, and I went home and I was crying and my mother, this fierce lion, she, you know, she hasn't gone studied much. She, her education is quite limited in that, but she was like, if you mess with my son, I will mm -hmm. move the world Right. to make sure that that is justified. And she went, came to the school and nobody ever dared to mess with me in any way. And that's, <laughs> this is what this brings up for me. This is this person that has something inside of him or her that is so much more powerful than the acolytes, the accomplishments, the cars, right. the money, that it's just a reason for existence that's so much bigger than what society tells you is important. And if you have that, if you can access that, then whatever the world will throw at you, you can just transform into more of a fuel to, br to bring forward the change you wish to see in the world. Yes. Very well said. And uh, shout out to all the moms. <laughs> That's why moms make great entrepreneurs too. They, moms were the first entrepreneurs, you know, that managing resources and multitasking and dealing with shit literally, you know, oh, I mean, yeah. So... I, I, I'm right there with you, Justin. Uh, I love this conversation. I know you and I, we can go on for hours and hours mm -hmm. at a time. Uh, you do have a community that I would love for you to speak into. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I think it's a, a Substack community where people can join. They can learn more about you and the work that you do in the world. Uh, please tell us a, a bit about that and how people can find it. Well, we are, yeah, Massive as an as a company is quite new. We launched in November of last year. Um, and so, and because I'm a branding guy, I have a very deliberate approach to how we're, we're building Massive. And we're essentially building it uh, community outward. So what we're providing within the Substack community is just our insights for now. There'll be, um, you know, you, if, you go, if you become a subscriber, which is free, you can see the latest article. I just posted one today. I think it's, July 18th, uh, when this is being recorded, uh, on uh, power, power versus wisdom. Um, uh, down the road, the Substack community will be a place that we will be hosting uh, monthly webinars. We will be hosting community discussions. So um, that will be the primary way we will communicate. We'll, we'll post stuff on social media, but the primary way we're going to communicate with our um, followers and allies and supporters and is through Substack. Hmm. Beautiful. And how can people find that? What's the best way to connect? If you, yeah, if you just go to uh, making it massive, uh, dot substack dot com, you can, you can find it. Um, you can also find us on social media on all of the, um, you know, all the, all the places. Um, but that's the best way to get to the substack community. Amazing. Beautiful. I will be sure to add all the links into the show notes. Um, 
Justin Foster, thank you very much for being an amazing guest on the Zenpreneur podcast. Uh, uh, I love the conversation and I thank you for being who you are in the world and for the space that you created with me here today. Thank you, Mario. You're very good at this. Thank you. It's very fun. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And thank you, my dear friend, for making this possible, for being a loyal listener on the Zenpreneur podcast. And with that, we are complete and I will see you on the next episode.